Hi, everybody. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. And along with my brother, Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This is a ministry that started over 21 years ago. Our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, started looking at world events and bringing them to light in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, on this week's program, we have our usual broadcast partners that are with us. That's right, Jimmy. We've got Ken Timmerman with us. Ken gives us our geopolitical update, and there are things taking place uh, in Europe and in the Middle East that we're going to talk about this week. And we're also going to talk with Dave Dolan and get an update from Israel specifically. Yes, and Dave will also be back in the program talking about anti-Semitism and how it's rearing its ugly head in the world today. We'll have Winky Madad. R.C. Merle will be on the program today talking about the economic digitization of the world's economy and how that's taking place and will affect us as believers and us worldwide in the world to come. And then, of course, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in the Legacy Series, uh, where he will be talking about the event of the flood. 4,500 years ago, the flood took place, and we'll be looking at that today. But we've got to get right to our broadcast partner, so let's get started, Rick. Ken Timmerman joins us. He's an author and a journalist and our expert on geopolitical affairs. He joins us almost weekly. Ken, thank you for joining us again today. Glad to be with you, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Well, we have been starting and we will again start in what's taking place in Ukraine. It's still basically the top story in the world. I'd love to get an update on what uh, or how you see the situation in the Ukraine right now with Russia. And then also I'd love to hear your thoughts on a report that Putin may move on from Ukraine and, and go into Syria next. Well, look, I think we're in kind of a holding pattern now in Ukraine. The Russians are moving troops. They're trying to uh, reinforce in the Donbass. They're they're telling the world that uh, that is their limited objective and has been from the very beginning. Of course, that's just a lie. Uh, they were defeated around Kiev and they, they can't possibly admit it. And Putin has arrested over 100 intelligence advisors. You know, he claims are now traitors. You know, there's going to be more destruction in Ukraine. This is going to continue on and become a long, hard slog. The Ukrainians are seeing their country just uh, be battered to death in front of their eyes. You know, you wonder, I saw a World Bank report this week that said that Ukraine's gross domestic product would drop by 45% this year. I mean, that's astonishing that they have so much still going. You see video of that steel plant in Mariupol. There's not left of it. They're certainly not producing any steel. And uh, the entire eastern part of the country has just been devastated. Now, as to what Russia will do next, I, I think what the, they need to do really is to consolidate their finances. Uh, they need money. Uh, they, they've managed pretty successfully to restore the ruble. And they did this by strong arming the Europeans into paying for natural gas with rubles. So far, nobody is really talking seriously about cutting off purchases of Russian natural gas. So that will continue. And next, they need new markets. And uh, their markets really are the three countries that are their markets, China, Iran and Syria. The Syrian civil war is pretty much uh, over thanks to Russian Air Force and to Iranian and especially Hezbollah ground troops. Now they need to rebuild the country, and I would not be sur surprised to see the Russians sucker the UN into sponsoring some kind of uh, world uh, economic investment to rebuild Syria on a humanitarian basis. In other words, they'd get us to pay Russia to rebuild Syria. Mm. That would be the worst possible outcome, in my view, but it's one that um, I think Putin is probably going to try. Well, we'll move on from 
the Ukraine right now in Russia. And uh, let's just focus on the Middle East. We haven't talked about the Middle East recently, but I'd like to get your thoughts on a few things that are uh, in the news there. One of them is that during a recent Al-Quds Day celebration, which is the Arabic world for Jerusalem. And uh, so they're having a Jerusalem Day rally, and they are they use that as a chance to attack Israel. And they are saying that Israel is creating conditions for its own destruction. Well, this is the rhetoric that the Iranians always use when they talk about Israel. And Al-Quds Day is simply their, their annual celebration of death to Israel. Uh, uh, let's make a Palestinian state. Uh, this is not new. Uh, It's a despicable display of anti-Semitic hatred at a state level from the Iranian leadership. They don't really get a great deal of popular support for this. They bus in demonstrators from around the country. They pay them a day off uh, to get them to demonstrate in Tehran. And they look, they they have not given up their intentions to strike Israel at some point. That's why they have this nuclear weapons program. And this February, they unveiled a new uh, missile. They call it the Kaibar Buster, the Kaibar missiles, which has just precisely the range needed to hit Israel, about 900 miles. And Kaibar is an interesting name for a missile because it's uh, it's the name of that Jewish oasis in 7th century Arabia that Muhammad attacked as he was rising in power. So first he made a deal with the Jews, and then he broke it to the Hudabiyah, with the Hudabiyah truce agreement, and then he broke it before the 10 years was over and wiped out the Jews in Haibar. So the Iranians are naming this new missile after that very famous battle in uh, Islamic uh, uh, hagiography. Uh, That's significant. It shows, again, how determined they really are to uh, wipe Israel off the map. Well, Iran is also in the news this week. They have been having uh, peace talks with their enemy and neighbor, Saudi Arabia. Very interesting. I don't know, will this, I know Saudi Arabia is not officially part of the Abraham Accords, but they are influential in that region. Will this endanger the Abraham Accords? Well, it could. And the Saudis are clearly reaching out to Iran because President Joe Biden has shunned them. He has pulled U.S. Patriot missiles out of Saudi Arabia. He has left them defenseless against these Iranian missile strikes and uh, uh, drone strikes that are coming both from Iran and from Yemen. Uh, And the Saudis are not doing very well in that civil war in Yemen. The Iranians are winning it. And so the crown prince of Saudi Arabia is a pretty practical guy. And he says, look, the Americans aren't going to help us. Maybe we actually need to talk to the enemy. So this is the fifth round of talks that they've held, this one being held in Baghdad just uh, last week. And the Saudis are looking for a couple of things. Number one, they're trying to keep the Iranians from hitting them so often. Uh, No more drone strikes, no more missile strikes, please. And um, I'm sure the Iranians are going to try to exact a price for that. They also want to work out some kind of deal over the civil war in Yemen, which the Saudis have been deeply engaged in fighting on a losing side. The Iranians are winning. And I think they're going to look for a way to disengage from Yemen and call it a victory. Uh, the Iranians are probably amenable to that. Let them declare victory while Iran is, uh, holds all of the ace cards on the ground. So this is a dangerous kind of meeting. We don't want to see Saudi Arabia and Iran get together. It's bad for the United States. And remember that the Iranians' goal, and it has always been their goal since 1983, when they first hit us in Lebanon. And again, I was there on the ground when they hit our embassy in that April. Their goal from then on has been to drive the United States first out of the Persian Gulf, second out of the Middle East entirely. And these meetings 
with Saudi Arabia are part of that strategy. Well, another reason we might want to keep an eye on these meetings is uh, we know that Iran wants to develop a bomb, and, and I don't know if this nuclear deal is going to further that uh, that intention or, 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 or accelerate it. But if Iran develops a bomb, the Saudis would not be far behind. In fact, they'd want one right away, wouldn't they? Well, that's true, and that's been true for a number of years. That's why the Saudis have been putting so much pressure on the Biden administration to continue the policies of President Trump, which were to basically to to put maximum pressure on the Iranian regime so they could not develop a bomb. The Saudis don't really want to develop nuclear weapons. It's very expensive, and it wouldn't make them uh, the um, most popular folks on the block in the Middle East. But they would absolutely, if they saw the Iranians taking an irrevocable step uh, towards nuclear weapons capability. Seems like that's the last thing that we would want is a Middle Eastern nuclear arms race. Well, that's right. And uh, this administration is doing really nothing to prevent it. They're pushing away the Saudis. They are trying to embrace the Iranian regime. And frankly, it is a nonsensical policy uh, that is also just extremely dangerous. Well, my final question today also involves Iran, but it involves Iran and China. And as their relationship continues to grow, it looks like concurrently the European Union and China's relations are in a downward spiral. Well, so this is a very interesting development. The Iranians signed a strategic agreement with China last year for 25 years of investment, uh, privileged oil sales, uh, guaranteed prices, and, and the rest of it. The Chinese are going to invest in building new military bases for themselves in Iran. This is a first and something which, by the way, is very unpopular with the Iranian people. Uh, they do not like the idea of having foreign military bases on their soil. This could be a potential source of uh, internal dissent in the future. But the Chinese want to have that relationship with Iran. It is mutually beneficial. China is a potential rogue state here. So they, again, want to guarantee their oil supply. At the same time, you mentioned China and the EU. And there, the relations are spiraling downhill. They had an um, agreement that had been negotiated by former German Chancellor Merkel and by uh, Macron of France that was uh, kind of rammed through at the end of 2020. And guess what? Five months later, the European Parliament turned around and said, uh-uh, we're, we're going to uh, nix this deal. No EU-China comprehensive agreement on investment because that deal that Merkel and Macron negotiated does not protect Europe at all. It allows the Chinese to continue to selectively block European companies from coming in and investing in, say, the banking sector in China, while at the same time, it um, rejects any kind of European standards when it comes to human rights or the environment. Hmm. So it was really a bad deal that was negotiated by Merkel and Macron, and now it's on hold and the Chinese are upset. So that's why they're, they're really looking towards Iran. They're looking towards Russia. They realize that their ambitions to dominate the European Union through trade and investment have now been effectively sidelined. Well, Ken, so many moving parts in the world right now. We are grateful that you are our guide through this geopolitical uh, map. And we've been all over, the, uh, all over the world today as we talk about this. Well, thank you so much. We look forward to hearing from you again soon. Thank, thank you, Rick. And this uh, EU-China thing is, is really actually the first bit of good news I've seen <laughs> in a long time. Well, we will keep looking for that good news. Thank you, Ken. Well, we got to take a break. And when we come back, our Middle East News Update with David Dolan. Right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. 
I'm Dodd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Powerful leaders in the Russian Orthodox Church continue their support for Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's often a different story for Russian Protestant churches. Eric Foley with the Voice of the Martyrs Korea says many of these churches were originally planted by Ukrainians. New legislation means that speaking out can get Russian Christians in a lot of trouble. Please ask God to protect Russian Christians and give them wisdom. And it seems like Lebanon faces another new crisis every month, and it's been that way since 2019. How do gospel workers continue meeting needs without burning out? Heart for Lebanon's Camille Melki says quarterly staff retreats are essential. The next one is just around the corner, and its theme is Victory in Jesus. Please pray for discernment as leaders check for compassion fatigue in their staff. And pray for effective communication between Heart for Lebanon workers and leaders. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. And we're back here on Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Well, as usual this week, we have Dave Dolan. He's an author, and he's a journalist, and he's the, the, the man that does our Middle East news update with us. Thank you for joining us, Dave. I'm always blessed to do it. Well, Dave, we have uh, a story that we've been following basically for several weeks now. It's uh, Ramadan. This is the last Friday of Ramadan, and there has been quite a bit of upheaval on the Temple Mount. So can we get an update for what took place yesterday on Friday? Well, Rick, it was actually better than last Friday, and uh, they were expecting it to be worse, the Israeli security forces, because it was Iran's self-declared Al-Quds Day, the uh, last, the very end of Ramadan every year. They have a day dedicated to Al-Quds, which, of course, is the Arabic name for Jerusalem, uh, the Islamic name for it. And there's always extra protests and trouble. And um, and indeed, again, there was rioting, but this time just in the morning instead of in the morning and the afternoon, as last week after Muslim prayers early in the morning, they started about 4.30 and then again mid-afternoon. Once again, rocks were thrown by uh, the rioters, uh, several hundred of them, uh, down onto the Western Wall Plaza. At that point, the police evacuated Jewish worshipers from down there. Uh, so, of course, a stone coming from that height, and you've been there, you know that they, the velocity is quite strong. It can kill you if it strikes you on the head. So they did that, and then they went up to the Temple Mount right after that. And uh, once again, we had clashes between the police and the security forces, and the border police and the rioting Palestinians. Again, some of them went into the mosque. 
had to be chased in there. And the Palestinians said 42 were injured, although uh, it was only about half of that that needed actual treatment. You know, rubber bullets were fired into the air, not at the people, but there was, again, stun grenades and that sort of thing. So, And that was called for by Muslim leaders around the region. We had Sheikh Nasrallah on uh, Friday give a fiery speech. That's the Hezbollah leader in Lebanon uh, saying that uh, Israeli aggression against Iran in the region must stop. Well, the Israelis would see that as backwards. The, they're not being the aggressors. They didn't, again, invite Iran into the Gaza Strip and Syria and Lebanon to war against it. And he said for the first time that Iran might directly attack Israel if there's a war without even waiting for its proxy forces to first strike at Israel. So an out of the blue Iranian attack could come, he was warning. And we had other uh, leaders, uh, Hamas's leader, Islamic Jihad's leader in the Gaza Strip, both made fiery speeches. Hania, the Hamas leader, vowed that the Jihad will continue until the settlers are uprooted entirely from the region. That means Israel would be totally destroyed. And an opinion poll was released during the week, Rick, amongst the Palestinians that showed that Hania would handily win the Palestinian elections if uh, they were held, if uh, Mahmoud Abbas ever allowed them to be held, uh, that uh, Hamas would formally take over. And once again, there were hundreds of Hamas chants. And uh, uh, and these chants upon the Temple Mount are not sweet. You know, they're calling for the slaughter of the Jews and this sort of thing at this holy site. And of course, the Jewish people can't go up there uh, freely and pray uh, and that sort of thing, and it is their holiest site, so it's a bad situation, but they do this every year during Ramadan, and they do it at other times, and at least we got through Ramadan this year without a full war like we had uh, last May during Ramadan then. I would tend to agree with you there, Dave, that this, you know, we look at the news every Friday, and we're just hoping that it's not that bad. You know, we, we take trips to Israel. We are have so many Jewish friends and even Palestinian friends there, and we don't want it to get worse. Well, I have a story that I wanted you to comment on, and you kind of alluded to it. It uh, comes from Al Jazeera. Now, that's an Arabic uh, website. Many people are familiar with it, but I just read the headline, and I want you to comment on this headline. It, this was from uh, yesterday, Friday, and it says, Israeli forces raid Alaska Mosque, over 40 Palestinians injured. Now that's the headline, and I feel like this is kind of intentionally provocative and and not true. Well, Rick, the uh, Palestinians, you know, Al-Aqsa is very important to them and Islam, of course. But the main point, as I said last week, is that they believe Islam is supreme. It is the final revelation of truth. It has eliminated Judaism and Christianity as a revelatory streams, the Qurans, the final truth, et cetera, et cetera. So they know that they can stir up the Muslim world over Israelis being on the Temple Mount, because, of course, they know a lot of Israelis want to rebuild the temple. We discussed that last week, and uh, that it is Judaism's holiest site. And of course, whose God is God? And we know there's not only a God, but a Satan, and he opposes everything God does, and he's been after the Jewish people for thousands of years, so this isn't new. But that's really what's going on here. No, the Israelis are not waiting to raid the Temple Mount or storm the Temple Mount, as CBS and NBC said last week. Um, you know, they only... Re- 
again responded when stones started to fall down onto the uh, Western Wall area, and that's when they pushed the Jewish worshipers back and then went up there to deal with the rioters. So they didn't start the riots. There's no reason for rioting uh, on a holy Muslim day when most of the people are up there praying and ending their fast and beginning the celebrations of the end of Ramadan. And and there was some restraint from some of the Palestinian leadership up there uh, yesterday, they said in the news that uh, they were trying to calm down some of the ringleaders of this opposition. But when you have Hamas, Islamic Jihad, Iran, Hezbollah, indirectly others like Russia and others encouraging such violence, it's going to continue. And uh, the Israelis know that. And they are going to keep their security forces at uh, top alert, Rick, they said, even though Ramadan is ending early next week, they will keep their forces because they're expecting a hot May. And in fact, they announced some major military maneuvers Israel will be conducting up in the north and other places, again, expecting that there still could be uh, a fuller war coming. Continuing along on that theme, I, I've I've seen some reports coming out of the, the Biden administration that uh, they are saying, quote, the need for all parties to work for calm, especially in Jerusalem, unquote. Uh, basically, the Biden administration is uh, reaffirming its commitment to a, quote, unquote, two-state solution, which means a, establishing a Palestinian state alongside Israel, while Hamas, on the other hand, and its supporters and leadership are openly expressing their intention to continue their jihad until they exterminate Israel. Well, that's the basic problem here. It takes uh, two to make peace. Like I said last week, two parties, it takes only one to make war. And it's obvious by now, it should be obvious to everyone in the world, and certainly administration officials, people in politics dealing with the Middle East, that there is a strong segment, if you will, and, and like I just said, opinion polls show a majority of Palestinians that still want to see Israel completely wiped out, see Israel as totally illegitimate, an apartheid state. It shouldn't have control over one inch of, quote, occupied Palestine. And that means Tel Aviv and Haifa and all these places where Jews have actually lived continuously for 2000 years, even if in small numbers. And, uh, you know, Israel's three holiest sites are in Israel. Uh, Islams are in Arabia and uh, Iraq, and uh, Al-Aqsa is just one. And of course, they only took it because it was a Jewish holy site and a Christian holy site. So um, two states, that would be fine if the Palestinians were really ready for that. Let's don't forget that Yasser Arafat signed a peace accord in 1993 on the White House lawn with Bill Clinton presiding, with Yitzhak Rabin signing as well, and Shimon Peres committing to a peace process, committing to a final end of the violence in the war. And seven years later, he tore it up during the beginning of the second uprising. So, you know, the basis for peace is that two parties really want it. And, uh, you know, Israel's not being the aggressor here. It's Iran and, and the other Muslim groups that it supports and pushes. And the Palestinians are very much in that lane as well. 
Well, David, uh, thank you so much for your uh, truthful and accurate reporting. That's what we're doing here. We're definitely seeking to, to show what is truthfully going on in the land. But of course, all these things that are taking place right now are basically setting up for the end time scenario that is called forth in prophetic scripture. Isn't that right? It is indeed right. And, uh, you know, you can have different opinions on how far along we are or whatever. But I was at a home group Bible study uh, on Thursday night, Rick, and this topic came up. I brought it up and said that I thought we are moving very close to the final, and nobody in the room disagreed with that. Everybody can see it now pretty clearly, as it were. The handwriting is on the wall, and I like to say that it's now a neon sign that's flashing and warning. (laughs) We're very close to the Lord's return and to the end of days, and we got to keep our focus on that, because in the meantime, we're going to have war. i personally feel we may have a nuclear conflict here. It's not just a a possibility. It's becoming more and more likely, uh, and the Middle East could be involved in that. Iran is determined to go until they, on and on and on, but uh, the Lord is on the throne, and uh, all these things were prophesied so we can look up and, uh, you know, rejoice in that fact. Thank you, David and Rick, and uh, you guys will be back uh, right after Winky Madad here at the break, uh, you'll be back talking about anti-Semitism in our world today. But we're going to take a break and we'll be right back with Winky Madad and Holocaust Remembrance Day in Israel, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Todd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. The Taliban has accused Pakistan of conducting airstrikes against Afghan cities. The unrest in Afghanistan has led to many husbands dying. The families left behind struggle to survive, especially as food prices sharply rise. Half the population, including 14 million children, expect to face hunger this year. PrayerCast recently spoke to Deborah, an Afghan woman who shares the love of Jesus with the orphans and widows she meets. Please ask God to provide for people across Afghanistan. The Word of God brings hope into uncertainty and despair. That's why World Missionary Press is preparing a container full of scripture booklets for Ethiopia. Home to 117 million people, Ethiopia is a heavily Islamic country with many unreached people groups. The need may sound daunting, but God fed thousands with a few loaves and fish. In a similar way, a matching grant multiplies every gift, and we'll connect you at missionnews.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we are examining current events and the light of God's prophetic word. I'll be up in New Hampshire, Franklin, New Hampshire, at Hope Community Church with Pastor Glenn Carter. I'll be at his church May 13th, 14th, and 15th. I would love for all of our listeners in New Hampshire, come by and say hello and come to the conference that weekend. Looking forward to being there with you. This half hour, we have Winky Mudad. David Dolan will join us again, and R.C. Murrow will be here to talk about the digitization of world banking. But first, let's go to Rick and Winky Madad. Winky Madad joins us today. He's our regular guest. He joins us quite often. He's the former mayor of Shiloh. Winky, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure and a privilege again. Well, Winky, I'd like to start this week by talking about Holocaust Remembrance Day. I know I've experienced several Holocaust Remembrance Days in Israel, and it's a very poignant moment there when the siren goes off, and it's just very emotional and moving for sure. But I was wondering if, first of all, if you could just talk about uh, the importance of Holocaust Remembrance Day and maybe how you view that day in Israel. 
Well, I think the importance for many people, if they stop and think, of course, is that the Jewish state that was established in 1948 came a couple of years too late for six million Jews. The Holocaust in which the German Nazi regime and some of their collaborators from other countries who gathered up, rounded up, promulgated racist laws, eventually putting people into ghettos, then using them as slave labor and ending up either shooting them or gassing them and then burning them is one of the most awful episodes in human history. But for the Jewish people, the loss of six million isn't only a personal family event, but it's a great national event. And when we mark that day, as we did this past week in Israel, we realized that the state of Israel was not founded because of the Holocaust, but the Holocaust happened because there was no state. So uh, we have a great responsibility to remember, to be solemn, and to realize that our unique experience in being persecuted that way means that we have to be very responsible uh, for the state, for our family, and for the pop Jewish population, not only in Israel, but also around the world, when we're seeing an uptick again in uh, these anti-Semitic incidents, whether related specifically to Jews or spin-offs from the Middle East conflict. Current Prime Minister Naftali Bennett uh, made a speech on Remembrance Day, and one of the things he said, and I thought this was very interesting, is that, you know, especially maybe with the things that are going on in Ukraine right now, many people invoked the Holocaust and say that there's a Holocaust taking place. But although some of the things that are taking place in Ukraine are terrible, it is nothing compared with the targeted genocide of a race of people, specifically because they were Jewish all over Europe. Do you feel like these comparisons can sometimes belittle the memory of the Holocaust? It's not only belittling, and I agree with you, the memory of the Holocaust. There's nothing wrong with pointing out horrific events by Russia or the Russian army in Ukraine or in other places around the world where many, many people can be killed in conflicts. In China, for example, where a minority Muslim population, I understand, is severely uh, suppressed, maybe to the extent even of concentration camps. But the Holocaust and I, I appeal to the, our listeners to, to understand me correctly, was a culmination not only of recent events in the, in the last century, but of many, many centuries in which Jews had to flee, then come back to countries and flee again sometimes, simply because at first we were a different religion, and then following the Spanish Inquisition, we had different blood, and then the Germans developed a racial anti-Semitism that we couldn't escape. Jews who became Protestant, uh, Lutherans, or even uh, Catholics changed their names and had nothing to do with the Jewish people. They were still persecuted. They, were, they couldn't escape. And that is a very unique event. And we don't belittle anybody's suffering, either in the past or at the present. But there's a very special place for understanding exactly why and how it happened to the Jewish people during 33 to 1945. 
when we take our tours to Israel, when actually the very first stop on the very first full day of touring that we do, we go to Yad Vashem because uh, we do realize the importance of what took place there. I know Yad Vashem means a place in a name, the idea being that they're giving those that died in the Holocaust, many who were you know, killed in horrendous ways and just in, in, in unmarked graves all across there, trying to give them a place and a name. Uh, but it does seem, as time goes on and as we get farther and farther away from those atrocities, there are maybe just a general, some people are forgetting that the Holocaust took place and even more nefarious, people are denying it. So there certainly is a place for Holocaust Remembrance Day and Yad Vashem and, and places like that, is there not? Absolutely, Rick. There is a Hasidic saying attributed to Rabbi Yisrael, who was called the Besht. He said, in the memory is redemption. In other words, if people forget, if people get unfocused, let me translate some of these terms, right? Uh, if people cannot delineate differences between different events and different scales of horror, etc., they will never be free the people not only who are being persecuted, but the people who are doing the persecuting. Therefore, when we remember exactly what happened, how it developed incrementally, first there were laws, and then the people were thrown out of work, and then they uh, they had to remain in ghettos, and then they were used for slave labor, etc., etc., all building up to this vast crematorium uh, of, uh, of gas chambers and, and other places like that. If we don't remember, if we don't give a few hours every once in a while to try to read a book about things, we, we're not part of the redemption process of all mankind. Hmm. And I hope that everybody listening will be, be able to study just a little bit because that's what history is all about. Well, we kind of have a theme on the program today of anti-Semitism, and, and that's based around you know, the event uh, of the Holocaust, uh, of course. Uh, Winky, thank you for coming on the program today. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Rick, again, thank you very much for having me on. And to you and our listeners, goodbye. Great interview with Winky, Rick. And uh, I'm always just amazed at how uh, in-depth uh, Winky goes when he's talking to us about uh, topics and subjects and, and uh, things that have to do with Israel so so knowledgeable. Well, we're going to revisit with Dave Dolan now. And Rick, we're talking about anti-Semitism and the rise of anti-Semitism. What brought this topic about? What brought this conversation about? What brought this about, and I know Dave has done talks about this, but what brought this about, last week we talked about the UN's resolutions condemning Israel. And they have condemned various countries for human rights abuses across the across the world. But 75% of their condemning resolutions are directed at the tiny state of Israel. The next closest one um, at a much, much smaller percentage is Russia and places like China are hardly mentioned. So it just seems like it's something is way out of balance, way out of whack. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about, Dave. Well, Rick, I'm glad to uh, discuss it, even though I'm sad to discuss it. I wish there wasn't such a reality. Uh, the United Nations, of course, played a pivotal role in Israel's recreation uh, in 1948, uh, reemergence on the world stage after 2,000 years of 
the Jewish people being scattered all over the earth without a homeland, as, of course, the Bible prophesied they would be. And the Bible said they would be returned in the end days and rebuild the ancient cities and towns. And whenever you go to talk to Winky Madad in Shiloh, that's ancient Shiloh or Shiloh, some people would say, um, reconstituted towns. But the UN's role after 1948, in which it was a pretty positive force for that, um, deteriorated quickly. And uh, I think one of the central reasons uh, for this disproportionate condemnation of Israel every year in a whole series of resolutions that are reintroduced every year and passed by the vast majority of the General Assembly countries is the oil reality. Saudi Arabia is the center of Islam, where Mecca is, and Medina, where Muhammad is buried. And they have, or did have anyway, the world's largest oil reserves uh, on Earth. Uh, now, Russia and the United States have uh, developed their own oil and have surpassed Saudi Arabia in terms of what they actually produce. But the Saudis, of course, are part of the much larger Arab Muslim world that uh, combine all their oil and put Iran's oil in there. And you have about uh, two-thirds of the world's oil under the control of Islamic countries. And these resolutions are mostly based on Islam's view that uh, the Jews have been scattered from their land, as the Bible predicted, but the Quran adds they would never return to their land. They would never rule as a sovereign people once again. They would never rule over Muslims or have any authority over Muslims or Muslim holy sites. Well, of course, the reality is there is a thriving, growing Jewish state whose uh, gross national product is about double all of her surrounding neighbors combined, um, thriving, growing all the time. And it doesn't have that much oil, although they discovered natural gas off the coast, but it comes from that Islamic worldview. And even countries that are not uh, Muslim-majority countries, or maybe don't have many Muslims in them at all, usually vote for those resolutions because, of course, they do need to get it. Uh, from the oil from the Middle East, and they bow basically to the the will of the Arab nation. Well, very interesting, and that's the current or modern reality as well. If we were to look at this from a biblical perspective, what would be, in your mind, the roots of anti-Semitism? Well, Rick, you know, I wrote a book in the early 90s that became an international bestseller, was translated into eight other languages and English, Thomas Nelson published, called Holy War for the Promised Land. And the main thrust of that book was that this war is an ancient war. It's not a new modern war. It doesn't fester because Israel's in Judea and Samaria from 1967 on, or captured the Golan Heights, or briefly held on to the Sinai Peninsula. Those are all factors, but that at its root, it is a holy war, a religious war. And what sets that off? The question of whose God is God. And in the talks that I've given over the years around the world on this subject, uh, I've pointed that out, that for the uh, Muslims, they believe they've superseded, they've replaced Judaism. And that's, of course, not a novel idea. That's an idea that they got from replacement theology in Christianity, which is still a very large part of the Christian world would adhere to that. 
idea that God is finished with the Jews as a sovereign revelatory people, and they're relegated to history and not the future. Well, that isn't, of course, what the Bible says. It's not what you and I and millions of evangelical Christians, billions, really, uh, well, maybe billions is optimistic, but millions around the world believe. But that is stated, as I mentioned uh, in the earlier question, that is stated in the Quran that uh, they are no longer uh, a ruling people, etc. Well, the reality is different. So that's the modern thing, but going back to ancient times, uh, it's the same question, whose God is God? And beyond that, if the Bible is the Word of God and the final revelation of truth, as we believe, then there is a God of Israel who is also the God of the universe. He's not just Israel's God. He spoke to Nebuchadnezzar and other uh, Cyrus and other ancient uh, Gentile authorities recognized his reality and his power. Of course, in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, only after the um, three uh, Jews were thrown into the fire, and then the Lord appeared with them, and they didn't even have smoke on their clothes when they came out. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, your God is obviously God. Well, that's what the Bible says, but the Bible also says God has an opponent, Hasatan, the adversary in Hebrew. We call him Satan or the devil. And he opposes everything that God does or wants to do, tries to thwart everything that God uh, is doing. And guess what? He knows that the Bible is true. He knows that what's written in it is reality and is not just uh, a myth or something like that. He knows that one day he will be placed in the lake of fire and... uh, will be finished as uh, his ability to influence anyone or or create havoc and all of this. So he's fighting all the time against God and God's people, and that is, first and foremost, the Jewish people. Also, of course, believers in, in Yeshua, Jesus, but primarily the Jewish people. And that explains this uh, the fact that this has gone on since the beginning of Israel's uh, existence as a country, and that we've had waves of anti-Jewish pogroms and persecutions and that throughout history um, from Hitler. And when you and I were talking earlier, I mentioned that even in countries where there are no Jews or no Muslims, for instance, Japan during World War II adopted Hitler's view that uh, the Aryan people and the Oriental people, maybe in their case, or the other peoples than the Jews are the dominant people in terms of God's view, and the Jews must be opposed. So you have this real religious, spiritual, I would say, spiritual battle at the basis of anti-Semitism, and that's why it continues to crop up all the time. And in the past year, we saw in the May War all sorts of anti-Israel demonstrations and and uh, rioting and trouble everywhere all over the earth but you looked at a lot of the placards and a lot of the statements that were made they were anti-semitic they were anti-jewish not just anti-israeli so that's just the reality of course we know the god of the bible is god and he did say he'd bring them back and he is doing that and the gates of hell will not prevail Mm. against what uh, the true god is doing so essentially, ever since uh, God brought Abraham up out of the Ur of Chaldees and set aside the Jewish people and made covenants and promises with them, they've had a target on their back for those that are essentially anti-God or trying to battle God. 
Well, Rick, uh, one of the funniest things I ever heard, I was listening to a speech by one of the chief rabbis in Israel. Oh, this must have been 20, 25 years ago. And he said, you know, we Jews often say, we're the chosen people. And then we look up and say to God, so, choose someone else already. (laughs) Uh, Yes, they understand, at least religious Jews do, that a lot of the uh, animosity that comes against them is not really because of anything they do or don't do, just the fact that they exist. Just the fact that they have a reborn state is a strong testimony that the God of the Bible is God, and Satan is not, and Muhammad's uh, religion is not the final revelation of truth, as they claim. Shintoism, Buddhism, all the other isms around the world are there, and uh, people adhere to them, but it is the Jewish people that are the chosen people, and Christians are grafted into that root of Israel, as uh, Paul makes clear in the book of Romans, and uh, that's just a reality. And so, you know, they, they are chosen, not because they deserve it, not because they have done everything right. Ezekiel, it states that I'll return you to the land because of my namesake. You've shamed me by being dispersed from the land, and I only had to do that, was forced to do that because of your excessive sin, sending your children into the fire, and uh, worshiping idols and other things. But for my name's sake, I've restored you and returned you. So again, it's not that they're better. It's just just that this is God's choice. He will fulfill all his commitments and promises to them. Well, Dave, my final question for you, and this is a cause for concern, and you briefly mentioned it, those that think that the church has replaced Israel are a particular threat to Israel and to God's promises to the Jewish people, are they not? They are, Rick, and you know, that theology was formulated over the centuries and became a sort of a dominant uh, force amongst uh, Protestants in the 1700s, the 1800s, and, um, you know, they thought they had the right view there. Well, it looked like God was finished with the Jewish people. I mean, they were about, they were going through the pogroms in Russia, hundreds of thousands were slaughtered. Then, of course, in the last century, we had the Holocaust. Millions were slaughtered. They were stateless. They were persecuted. It looked like they were finished. But then 1948 happened, Mm -hmm. and then 1967 happened, a miraculous Six-Day War in which they recaptured all of their ancient biblical land, almost, to the promised borders are a bit wider. And uh, so that theology was challenged by reality, was challenged by the news you were hearing every day. Um, and yet, as you say, uh, that just caused many of them, their theologians in particular, to dig in their heels deeper. And therefore, yes, they resent uh, the modern rebirth of Israel, some of them, and some of them actively work to see Israel disbanded, mm-hmm. destroyed, and support these uh, movements to boycott and disinvest, etc., uh, to, as it were, uh, reprove their theology. Well, I have news for them. The Jewish people are back. They're back to stay. God is fulfilling his promises. He's doing it because he is faithful, even if we're faithless. The Jewish people were faithless at times, but he remained faithful, and he's doing it. And it's time they changed their theology. 
I heard my dad say many times, God made promises to the Jewish people just as he made promises to you and I as Christians. He's going to keep the promises to the Jewish people, and he's going to keep the promises to us as well. So this is some great information, Dave. Thank you for going into overtime with us today and coming back in the second half hour and sharing this information with our listeners. Glad to do it, Rick. God bless. Especially during this time of the Holocaust remembrance and remembering the six million Jews that went to their death. Well, on the air with us this week, and it's a hard transition to make, but I think it's very important. R.C. Morrow is with us. He's got a website. And uh, R.C., welcome to the program this week. It's been a while since we had you on the broadcast, and I thought we could catch up on the, the move towards central bank digital currencies and your comment to me on the phone this last week about a connection to Elon Musk's buyout of Twitter and ultimately to Bible prophecy. Uh, welcome to the program first, R.C. Hi, Jimmy. It's good to be with you. And yes, I think there is a connection between three seemingly unconnected topics. An article on Wednesday from LewRockwell.com, a libertarian site, pointed out that many parks, entertainment venues, shops, theaters, stadiums, and restaurants around the country are moving to exclusively cashless, touchless payment systems, which the American public actually prefers. You know, the safety and convenience of cashless transactions compels people to accepting intrusion into their personal finances. Mm. This virtually ensures that economic freedom will eventually disappear along with individual liberty. And Jimmy, there is a connection between digital currencies, free speech, and Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. How so, R.C.? Think about it like this. Once governments issue digital currencies through their central banks, as China has already done, the digital currency itself can act as a social credit score. Mm. A nation CBDC will record every financial transaction and be able to track where you go and what you do. Here's an example. If China's Communist Party deems a person or company untrustworthy in any way, it can turn off or disable their programmable electronic currency and block the ability to shop, get medical care, travel, attend sports events, even affect their employment. At the same time, their social credit score will drop, keeping 1.4 billion citizens under control. So no matter what Elon Musk's new free speech Twitter rules are, when all money is digital, almost no one would take the chance of offending the government and becoming instantly penniless. Wow, that is amazing. But you mentioned a tie-in to Bible prophecy. Tell us how that's going to happen. Well, two prophecies come into view that I believe will help form the platform of the final dictator, Antichrist. Daniel 7.23 says this, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which will be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. Now, Daniel's fourth beast, as we know, is the revived Roman Empire mm. that will be ruled by Antichrist. Once the beast empire is established, complete control over free speech and digital money will be a given. And of course, Revelation 13, 16, and 17 is the coup de grace, as he causes all, I love that word, all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, mm -hmm. to receive a mark on the right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except for one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. R.C., you know, just before we went on the air today, you told me about uh, France has just uh, ratified or uh, voted on 
uh, allowing uh, all digital information for them to track your digital information. We're going to touch base on this in the future because this all ties in together, correct? It, it really does. I was pretty shocked by the uh, – because this is just a few days after Macron's re-election uh, to office. Uh, they waited until he was re-elected. Uh, wow. Uh, and that's that's going to be interesting. So, R.C., how far into the future can we expect to see uh, significant change? The Chinese already have the digital yuan and the social credit score up and running, leaving the U.S. and EU clearly behind the curve in controlling their citizens. On March 9th, 2022, President Joe Biden – signed an executive order requiring the government to report back to him in six months on the risks and benefits of creating a digital dollar. The next day, March 10th, 2022, the International Monetary Fund announced that it is firmly on board for central bank digital currencies. What is troubling to me is how most people I talk to about CBDCs just shrug their shoulders and say, what's the difference? They control everything anyway. <laughs> yeah. Not realizing that their world is, a, is on the verge of a major reset. Wow. Jimmy, the biggest financial two institutions in the world, the IMF, World Bank, Bank of International Settlements, which, by the way, is the central banker's banker, are working as fast as they can to make CBDCs a reality. You know, taking all that into account, I'm looking at 2023 to start seeing some significant change. Because once CBDCs are in place in over 90 countries that are reported to be working on them, even Elon Musk's free speech website will be useless. As Revelation 13.4 says, who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? When you think about it, uh, and, and we've talked about this before, we certainly do see a, a world systematic thought process, uh, economically, spiritually, wanting to control the world. And that is pointing us towards that future event when a one world leader will come on the scene and take control. RC, give us your website. I, your website is phenomenal. Give us your website and, and uh, how we can get to it. It's prophecytracker.org, Jimmy. And we post uh, headlines all day. Uh, we post at least one post, uh, opinion post during the day. We're on top of the news as it's coming out, and we try to stay ahead of it. Prophecytracker.org. Thank you, R.C. Murrell. Thank you for joining with us this week. We're going to have you back next week to talk about uh, this process of monitoring everybody's digital information and how important and how that leads in to this financial. Thank you, R.C. We look forward to being with you again next week. Thanks, Jimmy. Look forward to it myself. Well, we got to take a break. And when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, uh, you know what? I'm going to be in New England. I just want to make this known to our folks. I want people to come by. I'll be in Franklin, New Hampshire, May 13th, 14th, and 15th. To all of our listeners that are in New England, please come to Franklin to Hope Community Church. We'll have a meeting there. I'll be speaking Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday morning up until noontime there'll be a, a meal at the church and i'll be teaching the book of joel timmy prophecy conferences have always been a staple of the ministry here at prophecy today i know uh, our dad did so many of them traveling with my mom speaking at uh, thousands of churches, literally thousands of mm -hmm. churches across the country. And it's so important. Uh, we do have uh, many materials and different things online, and we encourage you to go visit those at prophecytoday.com. But the chance to come and to hear 
live teaching, to be able to uh, make it interactive and ask questions. That's the heartbeat of our ministry, and we would love to see people out at these meetings. I sure would. So if you can, May 13th, 14th, and 15th in Franklin, New Hampshire, come to Hope Community Church. Pastor Glenn Carter, come join us at the Prophecy Conference, and uh, I would love to meet you. Rick, this week on our Legacy Series, we're going to continue to study Alpha and Omega, and we're beginning a series on the worldwide flood that took place 4,500 years ago, and a historic event that has a great significance to the end-time scenario that could be found in Bible prophecy. The record of this flood that covered the entire earth is found in Genesis 6, 7, and 8, but before we get to that passage, I want everyone to turn to Second Peter chapter 3. That's where Dr. Jimmy DeYoung will start the series, Second Peter chapter 3. It's a portion of scripture that helps us to recognize the last days and tells us how we are to live in the last days. Turn to Second Peter chapter 3, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and our legacy series. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Second Peter just a moment. And I want to show you something in Second Peter uh, that is going to be the basis upon which I will develop our thoughts. First of all, Second Peter chapter 3, remember it says there in verse 3 that there will be those in the last days walking after their own lust, verse 4, who will deny the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 5, and they will also be willfully ignorant or dumb on purpose about creation. In verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. The earth was overflowed with water. The text says the testimony of the Apostle Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6, testifies the flood came. It was a worldwide flood uh, that took place. And there will be those in the last days that will be dumb on purpose, denying that that ever did happen, that that did take place. Not only in the evolutionary world, the secular world, the world that has nothing to do with the Word of God, but that debate will also be involved in the old earth, new earth argument that's going on in Christendom. Indeed, the old earth people do not believe in a worldwide flood because it destroys some of their so-called scientific evidence. It will not align itself. For example, the fact that dinosaurs walked on the earth at the same time of man. I was just with a friend of mine, Carl Ball, out in Texas, just outside of Fort Worth, Texas. He has a museum there, a creation museum. And he's within a couple of miles of the location in Texas where they have the tracks of dinosaurs so interacted with the tracks of men that they know without any question they were there at the same time. It's unbelievable. And so the worldwide flood destroys the old earth theorist who may say this earth's been around forever and the evolutionary process was a part of how everything came into existence. The young earth has to believe there was a worldwide flood. The old earth, that indeed we're living on an old earth and there was no flood. It was a regional flood covering some area in the Middle East. That is a lie from the pit of hell and let me prove it. You're not in my face if you want to argue you're not in my face at all. You're in the face of Jesus Christ. Go back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 is the Olivet Discourse. And it is the 
message on eschatology that Jesus would have given on Monday afternoon of Passion Week. He had just been on the Temple Mount. He had been teaching on the Temple Mount. He makes his way across the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives, and he's going to do some teaching there. We'll not go into all of the Olivet Discourse. It's a great study. And by the way, the Olivet Discourse is a preview of the book of Revelation. Everything that Jesus covered in the Olivet Discourse is also recorded and put in prophetic form in the book of Revelation. John the Revelator, who was there on the Mount of Olives that afternoon, heard Jesus Christ. And some 65 years later on the Isle of Patmos, God gave him this piece of truth called the book of Revelation. But it was all foretold in the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus Christ, he's the master teacher, remember, did one thing that's so interesting to me. I do it all the time. Your pastor may do it as well. You've probably heard other teachers that do this. They will get to a point in their message when it would be a great time to quit. And, you know, most people then start even closing their Bibles in anticipation. This must be the end of the message. And then all of a sudden they'll say, oh, man, I forgot something. i got to give you this. Turn to there. And have you ever had that happen? I do it all the time because Jesus did it. The Olivet Discourse is basically finished in verses 32, 33, and 34 where he talks about the fig tree. But what he says there could conclude what all is said in the book, in the uh, Matthew 24 Olivet Discourse. And then all of a sudden he says, oh, wait a minute, I got something else. Go to verse 37. And here's where he confirms there was a flood, in fact, a worldwide flood. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice verse 38. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Remember that phraseology. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came, notice, and took them all away. Took them all away. You parallel that with the last verses of Luke chapter 17. Took them away to judgment. The ones that were left behind in Matthew 24 were Noah, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth and their four wives. Those were the left behind at the flood 4,500 years ago. The ones taken away, one billion people. Did you hear what I said? According to Dr. Henry Morris and Dr. John Wickham, the two great intellects who wrote the book, The Genesis Flood, they estimate there were one billion people. From creation until the time of the flood was 1,556 years. How do I know that? I read the genealogy. It's right there in the book. Don't skip over genealogies. There's all great kind of truth in a genealogy. Chapter 5, you can count the numbers, add them up. It adds up to 1556. From Adam to Noah when the flood came and his 600th birthday. It came and it covered the entire earth. And the ones taken away were the ones that did not believe. Now let me confirm that a bit more. Go to the book of Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Matthew 24 is the Olivet Discourse. Mark 13, Luke 21 are parallel passages. They also record the Olivet Discourse from the perspective of Mark and from the perspective of Luke. 
Now I want you to notice here, in a different of time, when he was standing before a group of Pharisees teaching them, he says a similar comment, but it's not the Olivet Discourse, so this is an additional confirmation of the fact that there was a worldwide flood. Luke chapter 17 and verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. Notice that phrase again, given in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Destroyed everybody. This was a worldwide flood. Everybody on the earth except eight people. All uh, oxygen-breathing animals. In the foul of the air, they were all destroyed, all destroyed. So Jesus Christ confirms the fact of a flood. I want to do three things with you as we think about the flood now. Remember, our whole series is based upon the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. What happened in the beginning is also going to be a part or a connection to the end time scenario that God has laid out in the future. I'm going to deal with the flood right now. I'm going to show you the reason for the flood, the reality of the flood, and the retribution from the flood. The reason for the flood. Go back to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 1 is creation. 2, the special effects of creation. 3, the fall of man. 4, the story of Cain and Abel. 5, a genealogy. 6, 7, and 8, Noah and the flood. 9, Noah after the flood. 10, is going to be another genealogy, 11, the Tower of Babel, and chapter 12, the call of Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees. Here in chapter 6 of the book of Genesis, we see the reason for the flood. The first reason was man's massive corruption. Man's massive corruption. Look here at verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. The corruption, the massive corruption of man. Look at verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now notice this. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. As wicked as he could think, that was what's going to take place in this particular time. We read Matthew chapter 24, we read Luke uh, chapter 17, and we say, oh, they were drinking, they were eating, they were marrying. Oh, that, what's wrong with that? It's man's massive corruption. Everything was corrupt. And as evil as a man could imagine in his heart and think, that's what he was going to do. Verse 6, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. The Lord was grieved of all that was taking place, of man's massive corruption at this time. His imagination, how dirty he wanted to be. By the way, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. How about the minds today? Some of the junk we have to see on television. Turn to praise God. It's inundating me with evil thoughts. Everything. As, as, as bad as man, as evil as he can think today. Boy, that's a perfect parallel to help us understand the end times. And so it is we see man's massive corruption. But in addition to that, we see Satan's malicious contamination. 
You know what happened? Go back to chapter 3, just a second, of Genesis. You remember what happened? That's the time of temptation. We, we talked about that. We go through all that's taking place there. But then I want you to notice in verse 14 of chapter 3. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go. Now, I said, you know, we don't know if the serpent was walking on all four or whatever, but now he's going to be restricted to crawl around on his belly. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. That's the pronouncement against Satan. Now notice verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. He shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. What this verse, chapter 3, verse 15, is talking about, it is the first prophecy of a Messiah to come in the future. And the prophecy is this, a woman will bear a son. He will have you or allow you to bruise his heel. But he's going to burst your head. He's going to bruise your head, wipe you out, throw you into eternal damnation. Now, do you pay attention to that, Satan? You understand? That's where you're going. Satan said, wow, man, I better go into a strategy session here. So Satan did go into a strategy session, and he came up with a plan to contaminate humankind in an effort to stop the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Satan's plan was actually the reason for the worldwide flood. Next week on the broadcast, we'll continue this study, and we'll see how the Lord deals with Satan's new strategy and how it is so significant to our understanding of Bible prophecy. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in the Legacy Series. we got to take a break and we'll be right back here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Dodd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Powerful leaders in the Russian Orthodox Church continue their support for Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's often a different story for Russian Protestant churches. Eric Foley with the Voice of the Martyrs Korea says many of these churches were originally planted by Ukrainians. New legislation means that speaking out can get Russian Christians in a lot of trouble. Please ask God to protect Russian Christians and give them wisdom. And it seems like Lebanon faces another new crisis every month, and it's been that way since 2019. How do gospel workers continue meeting needs without burning out? Heart for Lebanon's Camille Melki says quarterly staff retreats are essential. The next one is just around the corner, and its theme is Victory in Jesus. Please pray for discernment as leaders check for compassion fatigue in their staff. And pray for effective communication between Hartford Lebanon workers and leaders. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. 
This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, uh, our theme today, really, if you look at it, would be, of course, the Holocaust Remembrance Day and what takes place in Israel. You and I have both been there during that period of time when we have stood at attention outside of a car as that siren sounds for two minutes. We have stood there as the whole country remembers those six million Jews that went to their death during World War II, Adolf Hitler and his process to establish the Third Reich or a kingdom, if you will. And uh, it's interesting when we sit there and be there and go to the Holocaust Remembrance location there in the city of Jerusalem. It is. And Jimmy, that it brings to mind two things. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on these two things. First of all, when we go to Yad Vashem, we talk about uh, kind of an error in doctrine. And and if you look at it and you look at what took place with the Third Reich and with Hitler, it basically stems from a, a view called replacement theology that is something that we deal with and we talk about a lot on this program. Yes, and Dave Dolan, he re- referred to that replacement theology, a system that's going on in our world. When you think of it, God has a plan for the Jewish people. He made four covenants with the Jewish people. The Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 13, 15, and 17. He made the land covenant. He promised them land that he's never given. And Rick, when God made these promises, he invoked his holy name. In Hebrew, Ha'olam, he invoked his holy eternal name. So that means this is going to be lasting forever, and it hasn't been fulfilled yet. So the land covenant in Deuteronomy 29 and 30, 31 has not not been fulfilled yet. A descendant of King David, the Davidic covenant ruling in the city of Jerusalem has not taken place yet. That's 2 Samuel chapter 7. And then, of course, Jeremiah 30 and 31, that new covenant where uh, the Jewish people will be God's people and he will be their God and Jesus Christ will be their Messiah. That hasn't taken place yet. So as we see this, and there are people that look at the thought process of, look, The Jews rejected God and his plan. So now God's uh, promises to the Jews transfers to the Christian. That's what you're talking about. That's that replacement theology that David Dolan was talking about. Another thought, Jimmy, that we think about when we talk about the Holocaust, and Winky Madad mentioned it later on in the program today, and the fact that uh, the creation of the Israeli state or the state of Israel came too late for those Jews that perished in the Holocaust. And so when you look at it like that, the Holocaust played an important role in fulfilled prophecy when it was the impetus or the motivation to bring the Jews back to the land of Israel. Yes, Ezekiel 37, The when Ezekiel was told to preach to the valley of dry bones and the bones came together and everything came back, it was a resurrection out of the ashes. Really, this is what's helping uh, and helped those Jews in Nazi Germany throughout Europe during World War II. Uh, 
Before that, God had prepared a land for a people. And with World War II, he had prepared a people for a land. And Jewish people from around the world, God started regathering them. And that's the process. That's Aliyah. That's when the Jews are going to the land of Israel to make that their homeland. And God says, I will regather my people. The book of Micah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. When you see this, yes, when God says he's going to regather his people, he will. And he used this process have Jews return to the land of Israel. We also look at it, Jimmy, and you look at the fact that the people came back to the land in the state of Israel was created in 1948, but it wasn't until 1967 that the city of Jerusalem was reunited and the the Jewish people gained control of the Temple Mount, even though they controversially relinquish control of the Temple Mount. They do still control the Temple Mount in that area, but now, so many years on past that 1967 date, the area of the Temple Mount is still filled with so much controversy, and that is also predicted in the book of Zechariah. Yes, it is, Rick. In fact, this struggle goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. We believe that that is the location of the Garden of Eden. Remember what took place in the Garden of Eden? Well, on the sixth day, God created man and woman. And on the seventh day, he rested. Uh, and sometime in between that, when he saw everything was very good, Satan came in, that old serpent, the devil himself came in and caused God's perfect creation to fall. And that's where that struggle began, and that struggle has gone through from Genesis all the way through to today and into the future, at least until Jesus Christ comes back and sets up and uh, his throne in the city of Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. But you're right, Zechariah chapter 12 talks about a struggle, a struggle for power. People become intoxicated with power to control, and uh, as they are still struggling today, this is a struggle that started in the past. It's a struggle today, and it will be into the future until Jesus Christ returns to the Mount of Olives. Also very interesting to hear Dave continue to talk about anti-Semitism, and he's mentioned it several times on the last few programs that we've done, that this is basically a struggle to say whose God is God, uh, whether uh, Islam, Muhammad is God, or whether God is God. Now, of course, we believe the true God is God, and that's just that struggle just keeps on continuing to play out as we continue to look at events across the world today. It sure does. And with everything that we've seen today, Rick, as we have, uh, and that's why we examine these current events. Really, Bible prophecy is used to help us to understand what took place in the past, what's happening today. Uh, you know, when we were listening to Ken Timmerman, for example, he talked about world leaders. God's using world leaders to, to accomplish his will, his plan, and how it's going to play out in the future. You know, when we talked to R.C. Merle, we even saw that there is a thought process in the world system of banking uh, economically, when you see governments acting as they are doing and making decisions. We do see that we are moving quickly to a time period where the Antichrist will come on the scene, and it's setting the scene today. And understanding Bible prophecy helps us to realize that. It's important for us as Christians to understand that one-third of God's Word that talks about future events. And that's why we do this program, and that's why we continue to look at uh, Satan's plan to wipe out the Jewish people, to uh, wipe out, to defeat God, but the plan that God has put in place to establish uh, his people with his bride, the church. Well, Rick, 
Thanks for joining with me today on the program. Thanks for doing the hard work. And I know you and I will be here next week as we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. You know, with everything that we've seen today, Rick, it's hard to not say, let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.